Go ahead. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Felipe, and you're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. And with me, as always, is Sean Flannery. Sean, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm ready for, like, the the trade deadline to really swing in, like, hot and heavy. But here we are on July 31st, which would normally be, like, the deadline day. But then they, they pushed it back to August 1st. But now this year, it's August 2nd. So... Really, we're kind of in that limbo stage of the trade deadline. Uh, maybe, so- maybe while we record right now, like maybe a trade will drop. Wouldn't that be fun? That's what I'm hoping, but uh, maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe it will be. Uh, well, I mean, I, I there's no more waiver wire trade line deadline yeah. anymore, so this is it. This is it. But like you said, maybe we'll get something juicy right now. Maybe, maybe Juan Soto will get traded this morning. Oh, but you know, there's a reason why they extend it to August 2nd. Nobody wants to work on a Sunday, man. Not even Major League Baseball. <laughs> well, it's like I remember that they did it last year because August 1st was on a Sunday. But now it's like August 1st is a Monday. So why is it on the 2nd? I don't I don't get it. They need that extra day. They need that extra business yeah. day. Speaking of waiver trades, I had totally forgotten that Justin Verlander's trade to the Astros was done at the end of August or end of August, beginning of September. Yep. And it was a waiver wire trade. I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, they uh, they allow if I remember correctly, they allowed the Houston Astros to get Justin Verlander um, uh, a little bit past the deadline or some crap like that. And uh, there's interesting things happening that year. Remember, this is the 2017 Astros, right? (laughs) So if you're, I mean, if you talk about just a lot of weird things happening that year, going the Houston Astros way, um, I don't even know where to start because now we're getting to that territory where is is this scripted like wrestling? (laughs) And you get to these conspiracy theories, like the Major League Baseball really want the Houston Astros to win, that someone owe. Did someone owe a favor to the Houston Astros organization? There was a Sports Illustrated cover, like with George Springer on the cover. The Houston Astros will be 2017 champions. And then the garbage can thing and and who knew what and when and how and why were they allowed to do that? Why wasn't rules enforced? Um, and then to top it off. Oh, and remember, the this was after the Astros players were complaining that the, that the front office has not done enough to bolster the roster. And that's the topic of conversation for today, right? Bolstering Trade, rosters. <laughs> bolstering. Well, not just, but it's, it's the whole idea. Like these trades, um, they are there to give the team a boost for championship contention for those uh, playoff aspirations. And a lot of times we see teams just like, no, we cannot give away so many prospects because we need to hoard the, these prospects to ourselves because no one can have them. That's too high of a price to get some of these premier players to help us in the run. I mean, fuck it. Let's just say it. The Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have had a, a pretty decent roster for championship contention uh, ever since Aaron Judge has come onto his own. And they've surrounded him with a lot of really good players. It's always a really good team. But it seems like they always fall short at the trade deadline because they're very hesitant to trade away these prospects, which, you know. Hey, they for- traded They traded a haul for Joey Gallo. I had loved that return for Texas. Oh, and, we know, and we know how that went. So I thought they – I didn't think it was anything too big of a deal. I, 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 it was a decent trade, but come on, Glenn Otto. I, 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 Glenn I, Otto, I, Josh I, Smith. 
I, I like Glenn Otto, but not that much. Like, oh, man, I can't believe they traded Glenn Otto for Joey Gallo. What were they thinking? Oh, no, he's going to be the next Jeff Bagwell or uh, the next Greg Maddox or whatever. No, it's Glenn Otto. You say his name the same backwards and forwards, just the way he pitches, too. That's the way he gets hit up and lit up every every time he's on the mound. Ezekiel Duran was a part of that trade, future main part of that infield, Josh Smith. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah, just, just, just saying, just saying. It's an okay deal. I mean, then you got the White Sox who refused to trade Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn one year, and then they went ahead and did it anyway in the offseason. So, <laughs> like, well, that would have helped out when we were in our playoff run in 2020. And look at us. We can't even stay. We're struggling. The White Sox are struggling to get to 500. And, and we don't know what the, what's going to happen because now the Guardians look good and the Twins are kind of faltering. But, I was going to say, is there anyone that really looks good in that division? The guy would say the Guardians a little I, bit. I mean, I mean, they do. They're my favorite. I'm even though I didn't believe them really at the beginning. Nobody of the year. believed in the Guardians. But it's like it was one of those like once they made the extensions, I was like, okay, maybe they're not giving up. I just I worry about like because apparently they've they've taken offers on the likes of Shane Bieber and Zach Plezak. Like, do they really want to win? Like that, that's what I'm worried about. Is do they really want to win? Or <laughs> are, they just, are, they, are they just backing into the like the division lead right now just because everybody else is meh? And that's what pisses me off about the White Sox is they had a chance to really add depth, get some more pitchers in the offseason. Yeah, the White Sox fans will tell me, well, they're already a, a, a top 10 team in payroll. It doesn't matter. It's fine, but we could see the holes in this lineup, in this roster, 1 through 26. You need more players. You can't keep trusting on your scrub farm system to bail you out because you don't have a farm system. And here we are. Now we're we're, we're the scrappy cast-strapped twins and guardians are whooping our asses right now. (laughs) The only solace I take is a lot of these guys are are not healthy. They're a lot – they get – they're hurt. I get it. But – they got exposed that they have no depth that they could, they cannot get away with the stuff they got away with last year. Cause what, what do we say in the off season? This division got a little bit better. You can't just, it's not going to be a cakewalk like this year. And that's exactly what's happening. And Tony La Russa is getting exposed as well. This team is so frustrating. And I think uh, I saw that I, I use that term in the, in the, in the podcast league. And like this team is so damn frustrating. And then the next day I see Ricky Velasquez using that word on, on his post for the white Sox. This team is so frustrating. So, yeah, these White Sox fans are now finally starting to see things my way a couple of years too late. I was, I'm, you know, but that's it. That's what the trades are for. They're supposed to get you ready for that playoff run. And, and I had another example. The Braves, we shit on the Braves here in, uh, in this podcast and on Vincent Henry's podcast over at Dong City. We crap on them every single year. And then the one year that they actually go out and, and make these big trades, I wouldn't call them big trades, but there were necessary trades that they, they needed to make. They win a championship. And to go back mm-hmm. to our 2017 example with Justin Verlander, trash cans or no trash cans or whatever, the Astros did, front office did what they had to do. Actually, yeah, they literally did that. They, they're the ones who implemented that plan for the trash cans, right? <laughs> but they they got they went out. They made the bold move of getting Justin Verlander, and that was their de facto ace for the rest of that uh, of the year and for the rest of that World Series contention, the World Series window. And then what the, I think they defeated the Yankees as well, right? In the ALCS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. It's, it, it's, it is what it is, man. I mean, you can, you can blame it on the, on the cheating scandal. I mean, they, they already got punished for it. They're not going to take away their championship. That The flags fly forever. The Yankees had plenty of opportunities to bolster line up. And, I mean, the Nationals were already 
accusing the Astros in 2019 of, 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 their, of their sign stealing and that they had to adjust. And not a single home team won a playoff game, a World Series yeah. game that year. So, anyway, I digress. I mean, <laughs> bottom line is, this is the time of year where your front office has to nut up or shut up, right? Yeah. So, uh, excuses are over. I don't want to hear excuses. This is your chance to do something. But at any rate, let, yeah, let's get going. Let's talk about these trades that happen. And we start out with the, the Yankees. Oh, they, they got their man and Andrew Benintendi. Really good outfield now. It was a good outfield to begin with. And now you add that third, fourth, fifth outfielder, Andrew Benintendi, who's having a pretty good year. High contact rate guy. Yeah. Uh, this is exactly what the, what the Yankees have been trying to do with their lineup. They, you know, they, as you know, Sean, they always had these big boppers with the big uh, slugging percentages and, and the big strikeout rates. And Benintendi is the complete opposite of that, isn't he? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, he's played the, the last few games. I think he's, they've been, yeah, they've been batting him lead off the very first game. And then sixth, third, and fifth. So I think they're trying to figure out where exactly they want to plug him in that lineup. Um, I would assume, I don't know, I'd probably switch him and Rizzo. I'd bat him behind LeMahieu and Judge. Those guys are getting on base. Almost. I mean, Judge isn't just getting on base. He's rounding the bases basically every time he steps to the plate. Uh, but definitely Ben Attendee behind Judge with how much he's going to start getting pitched around, how much he gets on base. I think that'd be a good spot for him. And I, I know Vince over from Dong City is very, very happy. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, all Yankee fans should be happy. They're finally making a trade that matters. And it looks like they didn't have to give up on anyone. I mean, they had Chandler Champlain, TJ Sykema, and Beck Way, who I'm this close to calling him Becky Wah. Um, <laughs> is there anybody in particular you want to discuss here? I mean, I, I def- definitely really like Sykema or Sykema, however you pronounce the name. I, I don't want to butcher it. but um, Sykema? Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was definitely uh, recovering from Tommy John, missed all of, you know, 20 and 21 mm-hmm. uh, with the COVID, but he's put up great numbers so far in low A and high A between 2019 and this year. Um, the Royals definitely, I mean, we have to realize that this is Andrew Benintendi and yes, he's having a great year, but he's not going to command the top five or really even top 10 prospect as a rental outfielder. Uh, where there's plenty of options that teams can trade for. And while they probably could have gotten somebody in the top 10, that would have been more of a one-for-one deal. I think Kansas City kind of took the quantity over quality here, um, basically throwing the three darts at one time instead of just trying to pinpoint one dart. But I think um, Sycamore could be a really good pitcher for them as well. Um, And all these guys, you know, they're not like 18, 19 years old and five years away. Uh, they should be able to move pretty quickly. Um, yeah, Sycamore's already 24 years old. He, yeah. Uh, uh, Beck Way, is, my computer can act right. It's so 22. Uh, like you said, the, these are not teenagers. Oh, yeah. And Champlain is 23 years old. Sycamore is probably the the jewel of this trade, I guess. Lefty, 24-year-old, like we mentioned, recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, 2022 uh, report from Fangraphs. Decent fastball slider uh, is also decent. Changeup is a work in progress. Command is the is where the upside's at. So, and uh, he's having a, like you mentioned a great year with the high strikeouts. Very good control there. So that seems to be um, the prize of this. And then you got a guy like uh, let's go with Beck Way, who's twenty two years old, big right hander. How how okay? So Sikama is the short guy, but then you got this two guys. Uh, Beck Way is six four, two hundred pounds. Champlain. 
six five two twenty. So yeah, yeah, they got some big boys here. And then and then Sekima, like I think we mentioned this last year too. We mentioned it every show. It seems like the little guys always have the command, and the big guys are always a work in progress. So in twenty the twenty twenty. Uh, so uh, let me start over. Sekima was the thirteenth ranked uh, uh, prospect for the Yankees, I guess. Yeah. Way came in at 19th, according and, to Fangraphs. And Way, yeah, this is all according to Fangraphs with the uh, ETA of 2024. Again, decent fastball, slider world work in progress, but it could also be decent, uh, decent changeup, also work in progress. And the command is the, is the opposite. It's a low upside and it's still a work in progress. And so far in high A, uh, the strikeouts are not there like they were in, uh, in 2021. The walks are a little bit better at 3.24 walk per nine. So I guess he's sacrificing the strikeouts so he can show some of that control. Um, and, uh, yeah, even the ground ball rate has gone down. So I, I it seems like he is, uh, I don't know what he's trying to do there. I, it seems like maybe he's, uh, dropping some velo, um, uh, and that's, uh, he's dropping that velo on that fastball. So he could have more command of, the, of that pitch maybe, or maybe the slider is, uh, he's tinkering with the slider a little bit so he can, uh, decrease his walk rate. That's what it looks like to me. You have anything else to add on Beckway? Yeah, he's just he's had a really solid month of July leading up to that trade as well. His last start as a Yankee, he threw uh, six hitless innings, uh, three walks, four strikeouts. Um, so, yeah, probably just a, a guy who's finally coming into his own. And then every single start he made in July, he went at least six innings, which is something you really don't see that much, especially in the lower minors where these guys consistently go, you know, over five innings like even in double A, like I know it was the Rays when I saw him, but like the starter would go like three and a third, and then they'd bring in a reliever who went two and a third, and then it was just kind of mishmashed. So for guys to go, you know, consistently six innings uh, in the minors is something kind of a sign of maturity. And you look at his inning count, um, Beckways, uh, and you're like, okay, so he's like already building up that that arm strength, which really to me is the number one thing that takes kind of a long time in the minors to do because you either do so well that they move you so quickly and then you get to the majors but your your arm strength's only built up to you know 115 and 120 innings and you find yourself kind of where Nestor Cortez is now for the Yankees where uh they're really gonna have to monitor his innings uh come you know going down the stretch here uh but yeah a nice little return for Kansas City for sure and then the last guy, Chandler Champlain, uh, was drafted last year in the 2021 draft, ninth round pick. Uh, but so far in his first professional uh, year in 2022, uh, 15 starts already, 73 innings pitch, decent, very good strikeout per nine, actually, 11.5 and a walk rate of 2.33. So there's a certain there was a certain archetype that the Royals were going after in these in this trade. Again, Champlain, 6'5", 220. Yep. Uh, there was a certain uh, uh, archetype that the Royals were going after with the they these guys had to show that they had control and, and, and potential for high strikeouts so uh which brings us to our next topic of conversation let's talk about it somebody asked actually Sean uh, with a W Sean Pence asked uh a while back ago on the in the baseball life Facebook group Brady Singer's really coming into his own as a starter be interesting to see which step he eventually anchors <laughs> okay so you sent me that before the show and i read it i did not read the second sentence i just I, realized I, what the second sentence was honestly i completely forgot but yeah. I, I was just a great way to you know segue from the royals into brady singer who's you know we talk about the royals before 
it seems like a little bit too much about the Royals, but this is the staff that had all these first round picks. They devolved, they uh, invested so much draft capital on a lot of these pitchers, Asa Lacey, uh, uh, Daniel Lynch, uh, Brad Keller. I don't know if Brad Keller was a first round, but Brad Keller was supposed to be a thing. Uh, Chris Bubich. Um, yeah. not Brad Keller, where is he? Brad, oh, Brad Keller is an eighth rounder, but Bubich is a first rounder. Uh, they love their first round pitchers so much that they brought back Zach Greinke. Um, but yeah, Daniel, Daniel Lynch was another one first rounder. Yeah, Jackson Cower another first rounder. Uh, so it, it, they 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 try they try to uh, bolster that pitching staff. They try to go that route, and it has come with very mixed results. But Brady Singer, uh, who may have been the best of the bunch this entire time, is looking like he's coming onto his own. He's having a really surprisingly good year. I mean, I'm. He's been up and down on my radar, it seems like. And it looks like this might be Brady Singer time. So far, uh, the strikeout rate has gone up a little bit, but the control is just immaculable. Uh, immaculate this year. I don't, immaculable? Impeccable? Is that what I was trying to say? <laughs> immaculable. <laughs> immaculable. Say that 20 times fast. But yeah, uh, walk rate went from being uh, in the high threes to the low twos, and uh, the walk per nine, I should say. And everything about him, ERA and all his advanced ERAs are fantastic. He's going to, if he keeps pitching this way, he's going to uh, uh, break his uh, F, uh, Fangraph's war uh, uh, career high of 2.0 last year. He's already at one and a half. So if he keep, keeps pitching this way for the rest of the season, he might, what, he might be at the, at, at exactly 3.0, maybe 3.1, 3.2. Yeah. He's made 13 starts so far, 84 innings, probably ends the year around, what 150 so if, if he's anywhere between 2.5 and 3 over 150 innings that's pretty solid and uh well, let's see what but the uh, and this is this is all coming with a very uh, low fastball velocity but he, the sinker uh he's gotten two tenths of of a mile per hour better even though it's uh, in the low 90s as well um what's his pitch usage anything about that sinker slider change i was looking at that i was thinking maybe there's been some huge pick she uh, pitch mix change, no. but not really. It's I mean sinker slider changes as it's always been. Well, the changeup uh, maybe has gone a little higher. Yeah, the, the change yeah the changeup um has been more successful in July, mm-hmm. um for sure. Uh, granted, it does look like he may be getting a little lucky with the changeup in terms of the results, but mm-hmm. the slider um forty percent whiff rate in July, uh the sinker isn't getting crushed. It's just you know. All sinkers get hit. That's the idea behind pit throwing the sinkers. And you're not really throwing a sinker to get whiffs, but um, he's keeping it kind of uh, controlled off the sinker. So the, the plate discipline has not changed much either. I mean, that's it, the guys are still not. He's he doesn't induce a lot of swings. Yeah, contact rates about the same. Swinging strike rates about the same. Uh, call strikes plus whiff. Huh? I got it right finally. There you go. It's still in the high. Uh, it's still in the low thirty percent. I mean, I, I think anything above thirty percent is pretty damn good. Yep. So I guess it has to be the batted ball. No, batted line drive rate slower than last year. That yep. that's the one thing I'm noticing. And it's weird is that these last two starts where he has you know twelve strikeouts and ten strikeouts. It's like I was thinking, oh, maybe he faced like really bad teams. No, he he went up against the Rays and the the Yankees. That's right. And yeah. and the three starts before that. Um, were which were also good starts. They just weren't double digit strikeouts or anything. Uh, those were the starts against the Tigers and the Guardians and the Tigers again. Uh, so uh, it's been very interesting to see how well he's done in July, especially those last two starts against you know premier teams of the American League. 
uh, and this, this is one that drives me crazy because there's really I don't see any big changes. I mean, I would have I guess we, the next thing would be to look at his stack cast uh, where, where he's throwing yeah. these pitches, the pitch, lo- uh, pitch release points and all that. And where uh, the uh, vertical um, inches on the drop and the, and the horizontal and all that. Because everything looks the same to me. So, I mean, what when you see a guy like that who's been basically his numbers have gone unchanged, maybe the change up is, is the big difference because it's, it's yeah. gone up 3% or something like that, or maybe 5% at this point. But when you see un, pretty much unchanged numbers in terms of production and all that other stuff on the Fangraphs page, what 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 are you seeing on your end in terms of how pitches have improved or maybe sometimes in some cases not improved? What's your next uh, uh, step on your evaluation there? I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it, and it's like the the command of the changeup seems like it's improved a little bit. He's really tightened where the slider goes. He's consistently burying it uh, down and away to righties. Uh, the sinker is literally right in the middle of the zone uh, on most pitches. Uh, I'm possibly here, I'm thinking, like, I, I'd have to go and look at release points, like you said. But um, I wonder if there's a tunneling thing going here with the sinker and the slider. He's getting them to look more like each other mm. and just kind of throwing guys off there. Um, but the, the sinker not getting hit as hard as it did last year um, in terms of run value, it was plus 11 on the sinker last year. And this year he's right at zero. So it's one of those. The, the fact that the sinker isn't getting crushed uh, kind of helps every the rest of the profile. So, yeah, because that is his main pitch. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Well, uh, and as far as uh, where is he going to be pitching next? Yeah, he's arbitration <laughs> eligible next year. So he's finally coming into his arbitration years. And I, I can see up- him. I can see him getting traded at the deadline next year, especially wow. with, with how we saw the returns that Jose Barrios and uh, Luis Castillo have gotten now. So, well, I got to ask, man, wouldn't it be more beneficial for the Royals to finally have one decent pitcher be signed long term? I mean, no, that's a really not a really good idea <laughs> to sign these pitchers long terms, but for the Royals who have struggled to develop pitchers, uh, despite the fact that they have a, a, a uh, a high investment rate in terms of uh, how much they spend on in the, at the draft. Wouldn't it be to their benefit to have that anchor past 2026 and just build around the build the rotation up around him? Because otherwise you're just starting over. Now you, we just talked about the three guys they got. I mean, they're pretty good, but they're still, we don't know what they can be. You know, the upside yeah. is minimal. It's not, it's not like they're going to be, they got three aces in return, but it, it, it's all a crapshoot. They got they drafted all these first rounders because they thought they were going to get a bunch of aces. And we're talking about one guy who's finally is dependable enough, and he's not even that. Um, he's not even that uh, uh, lightning, you know, uh, explosive flashy. or whatever. He's not that flashy. <laughs> Thank you so much. He's not that flashy. So I'm, I'm, I, I got to ask, wouldn't it? It'd be better for the Royals to sign him long term, or? I mean, long-term? I think at his age, he's already what 25, 26. Yeah, they're maturing, oh. man. He's maturing. Pitchers as they get older are better. We thought we we uh, we thought I, we established I, that. <laughs> I think they're I think they're just too far away. Like I think it's more than just the, his three years of arbitration. Um, and then their most two most recent uh, first round picks, Asa Lacy and uh, Frank Mazzucato, who was kind of considered a reach by most in the. I think he went number seven last year. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have struggled immensely to start their professional careers, so. Maybe if you trade Singer, you can get, you know, a team's top pitching prospect who is somewhere in the top 100, who's, you know, a little bit more in line with their 
potential contending window like four to five years away rather than the next one to three. Uh, well, the Royals are perpetually four or five years away. I mean, th- this is just... This well, it's like, a- I, I feel like it's going to be like the, the old Royals where that core finally... Because the, they were, what, together for like the last two years where they were great. I mean, two, three years with Hosmer, Gordon, Moustakas. Yeah. I mean, that was 14, 15, and I think there were still some there for 16. And a, lot, and a lot of people gave up on that core. They were ready to move those guys. A lot of Royals fans were ready to give up on those guys, and then boom. they Well, they, they, they were never going to afford them, and they were never going to afford them. I mean, and that well, Alex, Alex Gordon was the exception. Yeah, yeah, Alex Gordon was like, yeah, we can't let this guy go. <laughs> I always find that hilarious, but, you know. And he had a sharp decline anyway, so. Yep. But so did the other guys, Hosmer, Mustakas was okay when he's healthy. Yeah, he's been he's hurt the, a bunch. Lorenzo Cain, right Lorenzo Kane's already gone. Um, yeah, I did not. I, I, Cub fans wanted him. Like, no, you don't. And for a Met, while, Mets it, fans wanted him. Oh my God, don't know oh, that was annoying. well for a little bit. It looked like that would that would have been the right move to make. But you know, you saw what what happened to him. He, yep. he never heard from him ever again. And uh, I, I told people, I said, uh, center fielders generally age like milk. And uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is another when example. when Lorenzo Cain left Kansas City in 2017, he was entering his age 32 season. Um, and yeah, he was, you know, cut this year by Milwaukee. What was his last five years in Milwaukee? Um, he was 4% below league average, 96 WRC plus. He had 8.4 war over those five years. 6.1 of them came in that very first year in Milwaukee. Yep. Where he uh, was a six one player, uh, 10 home runs, 30 stolen bases. But yeah, after 2020, he was... Um, he was done. Yeah, I think he he had to uh, walk away because of the, uh, of the pandemic. And he basically went the uh, Ian Desmond route. Yeah, because so he, he, he for his family. I remember he played five games, and uh, then he came back in twenty one, was injured, uh, and then I think the Royals waited, um, or not the Royals, the Brewers. Yeah, uh, I think he had just reached like his ten year service time. Um, this year before they uh, released him, so he could get his full pension. Wow! Even though he had a giant contract, so that's right. That's right. <laughs> Not really one of those guys that's getting by on the the skin of his pension. So <laughs> you know, every every penny counts, man. Every penny counts. All right, let's move on to another trade. This was a, a, a the opposite, and yeah, in in the podcast league, we had a, we have a Mets fan and a Yankees fan, and they were kind of chirping at each other <laughs> as. Uh, the Yankees fan. I'm not going to mention names. You could probably figure out. We'll, let, you, we'll let everybody do their guessing. <laughs> you know, you could probably, yeah, you probably guess who's been chirping. But yeah, of course, the Yankee fans is the Yankee fan is uh, celebrating that the Yankee f- trade was a million times better than the Mets trade as the Mets get Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal. What's the deal? Hey, as Andrew said in our Mets chat, um, when news of this broke, he said, hey, it's just a small deal. The bigger one's coming later. This was just the small one. Uh, your guy Daniel is on the chat. He says that he is also available for arbitration next year. <laughs> when and, go goes into the school board, I would like to file for arbitration, please. And like you just have your attorney step up and say, this man is definitely worth a $6,000 raise. <laughs> give it to him. And then uh, he's also mentioning, you know, you heard of MAGA, right? 
Well, this yeah. is <laughs> this is Merga. Make the Royals great again. All this talk about the Royals. Oh. Well, not if they keep uh, not if they keep rebuilding every every two years, right? So anyway, uh, Phil Deal and Tyler Naquin they go to the Mets. The Reds get Jose Acuna and Hector Rodriguez. Uh, I, I have Phil Deal up what first. I guess he's the pitcher, uh, lefty, 28-year-old. I don't know if there's anything to talk about, but I guess he was a reliever for most of the last year uh, in AAA for the Reds. And yeah. he's, he's really not having a good time this year. Uh, where is he now? Is no, he, a- he, he was in AAA at the time of the trade. Um, okay. Mainly one of those just lefty specialists. Um, I think this year and last year um, at AAA with the Reds, he was like – 30% plus strikeout percentage against lefties. Mm. So kind of one of those guys that the Mets can target. And, you know, really the only lefty right now in their bullpen is Jolly Rodriguez, who's more of really a, a crossover guy. Uh, his best pitch is a changeup. And I, I believe deals is the slider. So kind of more of a traditional lefty uh, pitcher here. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint him. Uh, okay. Just pitch type, right? Yeah. yeah fastball slider. And that's it. Uh, how fast does he throw it? If my computer can cooperate with me, I can get that information. Going to pinch pitch info, 91 mile per hour is the uh, average. That's hey, going to pitch. Hey, if, if you are ever going to raise a baseball player, make sure you raise them as a lefty throwing person. They will get infinite chances. <laughs> I mean, they, they literally get all the chances in the world. You could be terrible, and you will still be allowed a chance to pitch with the majors. Phil, Phil Deal, 28 years old, kind of a late bloomer there. So here we go. And then, of course, the reason that the Mets made this trade was to get Tyler Naquin, uh, who every time I, I feel like that's it, he's done, he's over with. Um, 31 years old now. He's I, that that a, freaked me out uh, when I realized 31. Tyler Naquin was 31. Yeah, man. It's been it felt in the league forever. Couple, I, I felt like it was just a couple of years ago that, like, he was called up and like him and Bradley Zimmer were like the speedsters. They were going to do great things. And make yeah. a speedster. I don't know about them. Listen, if he's fast, he's not stolen base fast. I could, no, I could deduce that much, but we know who we kind of have an idea who Taylor Naquin is. Um, he's always going to strike out a lot. Not, he doesn't take a lot of walks. He, he's never had a, a double digit walk rate in his career. 97 WRC plus so far this season, but he's like a fourth or fifth outfielder. This is clearly uh, a depth, um, a depth yeah. move to just add more depth to that lineup. Yeah, especially kind of you know it was the thing that was confusing to me was this trade after the Vogelbach acquisition, um, <laughs> which I, I, I like the Vogelbach acquisition. He's done great so far as the Met too, um, yeah. especially because Naquin kind of fills that same role of the only faces righties can't hit lefties, and it's uh, I, I had to put Ken Rosenthal in his place on Twitter. Uh, at, after the time of this trade, because he said, oh, Tyler Naquin can platoon with Mark Canna. And uh, I immediately was like, this is bullshit. Uh, and Mark Canna's first career, and especially this year, much better versus right-handed pitching than he is lefties. Right after I sent that tweet, Ken Rosenthal, more like a depth move. Mark Canna has been great against right-handed pitching this year. Uh, expect Naquin just to fill in, uh, play every uh, like every fifth day or something like that. I'm like, what yeah. in the world is going on here? No, but, no hat tip for you, man. No yeah, hat tip for you. Yeah, this was more of a um, getting Travis Jankowski off the roster. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Jankowski had filled that little fourth, fifth outfielder role. Um, Naquin's not as fast, but he's also a much better bat against, you know, right-handed pitching off the bench. Uh, he's had, you know, the last few years against righties, you know, very good numbers. Uh, so helps fill in a little bit, never go wrong with depth. 
before the Mets acquired Cespedes in uh, 15, they acquired Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe. So uh, I I guess the two depth moves are done. Let's wait for the uh, the crazy train, hopefully coming through here in the next few days. And then before we move on to the pieces that the Reds got, um, any chance that the Mets are going to acquire Juan Soto? I no, no, I I think that's that ship sailed. You don't want Juan Soto at all. I I, I do, I do. I'm just I. They're not going to do it. They don't. They don't have enough big names, or is it? I the I, I, do, I don't think. I think the Padres fit what the Nationals want much more. Yeah, I'm surprised the Dodgers are are losing out to the Padres. Usually, it's the Dodgers beating out the Padres in every <laughs> trade, like last year, where apparently they didn't want to trade Luis Camposano to the Nationals. Yeah, wouldn't that be crazy if, if, the, if, the, uh, if the Nationals are once again using the Padres to leverage against the Dodgers all along? You see, that's Dodgers. the thing is the Dodgers have been really quiet in all of this. They were quiet it, last year, too. They though. were quiet last year until like the last couple of hours. Uh, you know, Mac, what was it that uh, it was Max Scherzer was like a, a sure thing to be a Padre. And yeah. um, I think that was another Ken Rosenthal miss. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Dodgers were so quiet and they ended up not only just getting him, but Trey Turner, too. So uh, I, I still think he ends up in San Diego. Okay. But um the Dodgers really how quiet they've been about it make me feel a little uneasy. Uh, Daniel Semek bringing up Will Smith example a Will Smith. Is he talking about the actor, the pitcher, the catcher? You guys uh, need to be yeah. specific, man. Yeah, You never know. We're, we're in a delay here. Come on. And then uh, he wants to know how, how many times will, will Sean bring up tweeting at Ken Rosenthal? Hey, I, it, it, hey, sometimes you just got to put the bow tie man in this place. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Learn your place, Ken, <laughs> in I, the Barbie house. Oh God! All right, <laughs> I like that. That was pretty slick. Uh, Hector, Rod- Hector Rodriguez comes back to the Reds. Eighteen-year-old, five-eight, one hundred eighty-six pounder. Give this man a pizza. <laughs> you know, I think Juan Uribe was also five-eight, right? And I'm speaking of Juan Uribe, I believe. Look up his uh, height and weight when he was eighteen years old. But yeah, this guy's supposed to play second base in outfield. Uh, high hit tool, but it's still a work in progress. Still has. High upside there, but you know, needs to get there. Everything else is kind of uh underwhelming to me. 35 hey, plus future value. Go yeah. ahead. The, the the 60 grade hit tool. The only thing I can really think of here that's kind of interesting was uh he was hitting for an insanely high average, despite you know, kind of average BABIPs for the, the actual batting average. Uh, and then earlier this month, he had a it was a one of the weirdest stat lines I've ever seen. He had a five stolen base game. Mm. with no hits and only two walks (laughs) he had two walks and stole five bases so um somebody was playing little league ball out there and just running wild (laughs) Rob brother Hector Rodriguez mania coming for you and then uh Jose Acuna is the other guy Jose Acuna 19 years so um the Reds a couple of teenagers here Jose Acuna 19 years old right-handed 6'2 175 give that man some pasta <laughs> um also was just like uh Rodriguez was at the Mets complex yep got a really good strikeout rate really good walk rate so he has that in line so that'll play for the Reds who are always in desperate need of pitching they just give away they did, it, they did they did what the Royals are gonna do in two or three years. They they give the Reds give away Luis Castillo. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that trade. That, that's exciting for them. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I, I it's like the, the thing that worries me about uh it's kind of like how everyone used to talk about trading with the Rays and before that trading with Billy Bean, you know, how if Billy Bean asked for somebody and acted as if it was nothing, 
uh, go look at the guy again because you missed something. <laughs> well, I feel like that's the Reds now. Like, if the Reds trade for a pitcher, I, I need to go. Like, we missed something. And uh, you, you see kind of the numbers that Acuna had put up um, at the complex level this year. And you're like, did the Mets miss something here? Did the, did the Reds see something? Because, uh, you know, of course, they built that great kind of pitching development school uh, while Kyle Bodie was there. Uh, and even though he's gone, like that system is still in place. And we saw them acquire Chase Petty from Minnesota and the Sonny Gray deal. Uh, so they're definitely, you know, going after arms they like. And, of course, there's so much data on these guys that they can get, even when they're with other teams, that you really got to kind of do a double take and be like, okay, well, what did my team miss here? Because uh, that's that, that's how I am with the uh, the Reds now. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I don't want to say it, but the Reds, at the very least, with Jose Acuna, might have uh, gotten the may have gotten the best player in that deal. Maybe, maybe we'll yeah. see. Something that also of note: uh, Hector Rodriguez, the infielder, and Jose Acuna, the pitcher, have similar ground ball rates. Think about that one. There you go. Forty-four. That, that that is a stat. That is 40, a stat. Between forty-four <laughs> and forty-six percent. So there you go. Well, let's stay with the Reds. They gave away Luis Castillo, probably the the best pitcher they've had in a very long time. Um, I can't. When's the last time we we the Reds had like a, a somewhat of a perennial Cy Young candidate? And I can't think of one right now off the top of my head. I mean, I, I'm kind of shocked that they got this level of return for him. Because he's kind of struggled, you know, the last couple of years. But then right before the trade, uh, this last his last five or six starts, he's just gone on a run, and uh, yep. definitely got that value back up. Yep. Um, good, for, good for the Reds. I I thought this was a, a great trade for them. Um, I, I just it, it's uh, I'm interested. I'm even more interested in Luis Castillo things now because now he goes from one of the most hitter friendly parks to one of the most pitcher-friendly parks. Anything so we'll in the West Coast is always good for pitchers. Anything in the West is always good for pitchers. So um, so it's this year, and then he's arbitration eligible next year yep. before he becomes a free agent in 2024. Any chance that the Mariners sign him long-term, or is he just... I, um, they might try. Um, or are they, they going to trade him again? <laughs> it's, it's Jerry DePoto. Like, come on now. <laughs> like, like, he'll he'll pitch him in the, the preseason this year, or the preseason, postseason if they make it this year. Um, and then he'll probably trade him like super early in like May next year. Uh, it's just like Seattle to me already had a lot of good pitching. So yeah, it's like this yeah. trade really came out of nowhere for me. Like they, I realize they have the pieces to do it, but I didn't think that they would trade those pieces for pitching. Well, uh, I mean, do you really want to see Marco Gonzalez? I mean, we, we talked about Gonzalez Marco. has had a good year. Yeah, but I mean, come on, soft, soft tossing lefty. I mean, is that what you want in the playoffs? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want that. But uh, let's see, what does that Mariners lineup look like now? I mean, you almost want to say maybe they would, they should, they were better off trying to bolster the the hitting lineup as opposed to the rotation. But oh no, they're on a six man rotation now. No, no. <laughs> well, that well, that's the thing is they're gonna have to monitor. Uh, I think it's. George mainly Kirby. mainly Kirby, yeah. uh, but I think Gilbert has uh, some innings possibility question marks as well. Um, only through, yeah. Um, Kirby only threw 124 innings last year. He's at 123 this year. So I could, maybe that makes sense. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense now. Well, if, if so. it all fails, uh, Justice Sheffield just waiting in the minors. 
<laughs> what this, is this 2015 <laughs> <laughs> and this team still has emerson hancock uh waiting in the wings as well yeah and double a so you're right they they are that's they have some depth there at the rotation uh in the future um i thought there was i don't, more I, I don't know it was a weird trade for me it, it's just like it's not a bad trade for either team it's just i question why seattle did it well it, it's it's like what we talked about it's either put up or shut up but they got so much flack last year for getting trading Kendall Craven, even though yeah. I, I listened to our trade deadline special last year and it sounded like they were better off getting rid of Graveman and, and, and getting the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the package of Toro and Diego um, Castillo as well yeah. from a different trade, I guess. I don't, but yeah, I go Castillo is better than Graveman and be like, Oh, but Graveman's having a great year and Diego Castillo, who cares? And, and, uh, you know who, uh, Toro had the, the walk-off, uh, was it a walk-off that they want to get, they just had over Houston or was the go-ahead, he was pinch hitting for I think Julio Rodriguez in like the eighth, ninth inning and uh, runner second and third and off Ryan Presley. And he lined it through the shift. Holy oh, crap. Always All like right. Abraham Toro. I, I, I think Julio Rodriguez was was uh, hurt. So that's why he was pinched hit for. And Toro came through in the clutch. Uh, let's see here. I mean, I, I still believe in the Mariners. I know people are kind of why. Are they even contenders? Like, yeah, that's a really decent team. They're unfortunately they're in the wrong division because yeah. the Astros are always going to have that as long as uh, they have that core in line. And and the thing about this, the Astros have that division locked up with an, a struggling Alex Bregman for majority of the year. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's talk about the Reds, uh, the players that the Reds got. I, I'm just gonna go in the order that I, I see them on the fan graphs. Edwin Arroyo is the first name that popped up. 18 year old. Um, Shortstop, six foot, one hundred seventy-five. Switch, switch, throwing and hitting. What? That's weird. The eleventh-ranked prospect according to Fangraphs. Uh, low hit tool, but the power. He's the big-time power at that position, especially uh, for, for a guy of his size, is what is drawing people's interest in him. He also has fifty graded speed, and he's a forty-plus uh, future value so far in Seattle. Uh, strikeouts. Uh, have dropped a little bit. He used to strike out at 30%. Now he's at, down at 22% in single A ball. Uh, has shown an ability to get on base and have an explosive bat. So, and he sprays, uh, he, you don't know where the ball's coming. He has a pretty decent line drive rate, but he doesn't, he's not necessarily a, a ground ball hitter or a fly ball hitter. You don't know what, I don't even think he knows what, what, what <laughs> where the ball's landing or where it's going when he's swinging. Uh, anything else you want to add about Edwin Arroyo? Yeah, Edwin Arroyo is kind of the interesting piece in this trade because he has the most variance, I'd say, in where he's ranked. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 11. MLB has him at, oh, goodness gracious. Um, Well, I'll I'll skip MLB for now. Baseball America has him ranked as their second uh, prospect. And there's I've even seen, you know, this argument on Twitter uh, that some people like Edwin Arroyo over Noel V. Marte. And mm. of course, Noel V. Marte is, you know, the top 15, top 25 prospect. Um, but there are a lot of people that are saying that, you know, it's kind of don't it, Arroyo is slept on compared to Marte. And there are some people I think that actually possibly think that Arroyo's hit tool might, you know, mature better than Noel V. Marte's, which I thought was very interesting because Arroyo wasn't a name that I wasn't, you know, paying attention to. I noticed that when this trade happened, I was like, okay, Marte has to be the one going back. And he was, 
But uh, yeah, uh, Edwin Arroyo has, is ranked the number two prospect um, by Baseball America. Uh, but one of the other guys, the other one that got moved in that deal, Levi Stout, I think MLB has him in the top five, but Baseball America has him as the 10th ranked. So a lot of people are saying, oh, the price for a controllable starter is now three of your top five prospects. And I'm like, I kind of like hesitate and I'm like, is it really three of the top five? It's definitely two between Marte and Arroyo. But um, yeah, I definitely want to pay attention to these guys now, because if you look at that future infield for uh, the Cincinnati Reds in the next you know few years, I mean, Edwin Arroyo's only 18, going to take a while, but you have Ellie De La Cruz, who is promoted to Chattanooga. You have Matt McClain, who is their top pick. You have Noel V. Marte. They got a lot of infielders now. And um, and they all have, you know, like potential plus plus offensive outlooks in terms of good, good hitting and good hitting for power. And when you take that combo and you put it in the Great American Small Park, uh, yeah, th- their offense is going to be really good. Yeah, I forgot to mention that as well, that uh, Arroyo uh, power speed combination. It doesn't show on the I mean, 50 speeds pretty fast. But yeah, so far, 13 home runs, 21 stolen bases. Uh, let's take a breather on on I'm Levi Stout's the next guy but I, the natural thing to do was to talk about Noel v. Martin next but let's talk about Levi Stout just to give us a little breather on those shortstops uh Levi Stout 6'1 pitcher 6'1 195 pounder pitcher 24 years old already double a uh with the Mariners he had 18 starts 87 innings pitch uh the strikeouts aren't there but again he's uh uh he's decreased his walk rate so that's good um, ERA is at 5.28. Uh, I don't know about that. Advanced ERAs don't like him either. Uh, what, what's his batter ball profile? He's a fly ball pitcher. Uh, well, at least, at least he was in 2021. This year, he's trying to induce more ground balls with mixed results. Um, so, yeah, this one's kind of an underwhelming one. Uh, fastball slider combination. Uh, Changeup is uh, low graded, but the command, which is ironic because he's the command is, his, is supposed to be the best attribute of his. And he's had a couple of uh, a couple of stops where he's uh, put up uh, walk per nine innings uh, above four already in his young career. Yeah. Levi Stout, though, what do you like about him? If well, I mean, when I see a former Seattle pitcher with 60 grade command, I go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we've been saying for years now that the likes of the, the George Kirby's, the Logan Gilbert's, all these guys. Emerson they, Hancock. They, yeah, Emerson Hancock. Like they weren't just good pitchers, but they they didn't walk guys. Yeah. And that was like the most like interesting thing was it's like it's kind of a breath of fresh air when you look at like are you're trying to scout minor league pitching and you're like, oh, this guy has good stuff, but he's he's walking a lot of guys. Then you look at Seattle system and it was just one point something, one point something, two point one. Like, and you're like, oh, OK, so it's, I, it's- I know the command's going to be good. So even though he did have those, you know, uh, in 2021, he was over four walks per nine. Uh, you know, maybe he was just figuring it out. I mean, he, he didn't pitch all of 2020. He was drafted in 19, but didn't play professionally that year. So long layover this year, the command looks solid. Um, interesting haul. Once again, Cincinnati acquires a pitcher. It makes you want to go back and do a double take on him. Be like, (laughs) okay, what am I missing here? And then, uh, we move on to Noel V. Marte. He's the, uh, that's the big fish right there, man. Uh, I have no Marty Marti in my, in my points league, uh, and I've been kind of ca- wanting to have a reason to drop him, but he's not giving me a reason to drop him. You know, the reason to drop him is because he's uh, he's still raw, very young, 
uh, the power is still kind of a um, a question, as a, some scouts don't know if 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 it, if he can develop that power. But here it is, man. I mean, the, the hit, and then the other reason why I'm like I'm kind of worried about him is he has a very low hit tool, low hit grade. But the powers where it's that game power uh, upside of sixty, raw power upside of seventy. The speed is there. He's a power speed player. You're gonna call me crazy, but when I see stuff like that, it kind of reminds me of Starling Marte. Kind of. <laughs> if, if, if Starling Marte was a shortstop, this guy would be it. Um, although you know, Mar- Noel V Marte is a shortstop now. He could play a different position later. They're saying third base now for him. Yeah. Which, yeah I I could see I could see third base for him or for uh, the other Cincinnati top infield prospect now, Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, De La Cruz is a little bit bigger, so probably move him off the shortstop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no- Noelvi is the one that I've been kind of, you know, so-so. I'm not the high guy on him, but I'm not really low on him. I'm just kind of like the wait and see. Um, yeah. And this year, I mean, it's consistency of results at multiple levels for someone that is like so young. Uh, Because, you know, Marte uh, this year in the Northwest League, he's playing there at 20 years old, two and a half years younger than the average player. And he's putting up an 825 OPS. And in 2021, when he was in uh, Modesto, the the low A West League, uh, he put up an 831 OPS when he was two years younger than the average player. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see that as he's gone up these levels, I mean, still only in high a uh, really the biggest change that you see between a ball and double A and triple A is both the quality of pitching and quality of defense, which suppresses Babip. Uh, if he's sitting in the two seventies with an a ball, where does he end up in double a? Uh, but the fact that he has been relatively consistent in both, not only results, but also <clears throat> His walks and strikeouts, he's, you know, over 10% walk rate, right around 21, 22% strikeout rate. That's kind oh, of encouraging. It's, it's, it's encouraging. encouraging. Like, it, it's a weird, you don't often see it normally. There's a little bit of a trail off. Uh, now, for all we know, he could get to double A and he just, he can't hit a quality breaking ball or something like that. Um, <laughs> you never know, like, when yeah. they're in A ball. It's always the frustrating thing and why I'm usually... I try and not get too excited for guys that are in high A or whatever. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't help myself. Like I said, I've been wanting to have a reason to drop him and do something else. But every time I think about it, he always gives me a reason to uh, keep waiting on him, right? Just yeah. be patient with him, I think to myself. So he's 6'1", 181 pounder. So, I mean, if he has this power right now, I mean, he's hitting uh, 15 home runs. Imagine when his body develops a little bit more and adds more muscle to it. Um, and you wouldn't imagine that his hitting eye would get better. His contact rate would get better. And that would result in more power. And of course the stolen bases and he's going to play in Cincinnati. Yeah. And, not to like? And, and he's had a hell of a month of July yeah. uh, batting 384 with seven home runs, 10 walks to 14 strikeouts. He's had a hit in every game except three in the month of July. Uh, just really been on fire and uh, yeah, 218 WRC plus. Uh, over the month of July. So they're getting a guy right in the middle of a hot streak. We'll see with a few days off after the trade. He's got to got to move, got to get used to new teammates. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how he adjusts to that. I wouldn't be shocked if they send him straight to uh, Chattanooga in double A. Oh, uh, okay. Because, I mean, you, you look at what he was doing that last month in high A and you're like, okay, this guy's done. <laughs> and of course, and of course, Ellie De La Cruz was recently promoted to double a Chattanooga 
Uh, maybe they want those guys to move up together, uh, kind of, you know, create that chemistry and camaraderie. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with them once he gets to double A. If he once I see him pit, you know, play at double A, that's kind of where I start believing in guys. Um, it's just, oh, I, I've been burned too many times yeah, of yeah, guys. You, you see him in rookie ball, but I remember there was uh, some video from Noel V. Marte during the, the fall instructs this past off season. And he was just hitting some balls that were like stupid. I mean, like <laughs> the, the the bat speed. I mean, because he's not a huge guy. No, I mean, he's he's, he's definitely not 180 anymore. He he's bulked up. Okay. Um, uh, but it's like the bat speed is insane with Noel V. Marte. Um, last guy, Andrew Moore, uh, 22-year-old left-handed pitcher, 6'5, 205 pounder, big fastball. Uh, decent slider curveball is rated at a 70 uh, high end uh, potential there. And the opposite of a lot of these Mariners pitchers is that this guy does not come with a lot of command and he has a future value of 35 plus. So Noel and Marte is going to be a superstar. Andrew Moore. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. Noel and Marte is the projected superstar. Andrew Moore looks like he's uh, the lefty bullpen specialist, but let's see what he's done so far in, in a ball for the Mariners. 25 games, yeah, he's already, so he's already coming out of the bullpen. They're not even going to try to make him into a starter. Uh, but very high strikeout rate. Uh, his walk rate has gone down precipitously this year. It was at 8.35 in A-ball in 2021. Now it's at, he's cut it almost in half at 4.73 in 2022, also in A-ball. And he's increased his ground ball rate as well. So and finally, uh, a big guy taking advantage of his uh, height and stature. Get, inducing more ground balls, getting a lot of strikeouts. Um, but this is just a bullpen arm unless yeah. the rest decide, hey, let's experiment with this guy a little bit, right? He has three pitches. Let's see if he can make become a starter for us one day. Any thinking about that with those guys? Uh, you know I, I, I feel like he's probably just dedicated reliever at this point. <laughs> Although he does kind of remind me with the, the crazy high strikeouts and the, the walkout concerns of another uh, Cincinnati Reds prospect Joe Boyle, who this year he they have him. They still are using Joe Boyle as a starter, and I know this is kind of a segue, but the numbers were so similar. You mentioned Moore sitting at a K per nine over sixteen, four point seven five walk rate as a reliever. Joe Boyle has thrown sixty eight innings in sixteen starts. He has a fourteen point nine four strikeout per nine, a seven point zero eight walks per nine. In, in 70 innings, 1.97 ERA, <laughs> 3.13 FIP with a seven walk per nine. He's doing that because he's only allowed two home runs in those 70 innings, and they are batting. Uh, where is the, the average against? Oh, I just had it. Oh, they're batting 0.096 against Joe Boyle. He they have a 186 Babip against him. So wow. literally the only base runners he gives up are his walks. Um, but yeah, Andrew Moore and, and Joe Boyle. Uh, I know I talked more about Joe Boyle there, but I the, the high strikeouts and the high walks with great success. Um both now in Cincinnati. So all right. Well, that's the Reds. Uh they're 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 starting their Royals uh rebuild a little um already as uh they kind of uh flamed out they tried to go for it they got you know they went after nick castellanos we talked about mike Wustakas already um they had all these veterans to make a run and they kind of fell flat it's a shame 
It's a shame. They look like they had the pitching rotation for it, too. They had Tyler Mile, Molly, um, Luis Castillo. And it didn't I, work out I, I for them. I, I think Molly could get like a really good return too, because I think yeah. he has an even an extra year of control compared to what um, Castillo had. Castillo yeah. has you know the rest of this year and next. Actually, no, Maley's the same way. So uh, okay. our, last year of arbitration, next year. Okay. Well, either way, they're looking to get rid of everybody at this yeah. point. So we'll see what haul they get for him. I mean, I think they got a hell of a haul for this. Yeah. Uh, Luis Castillo. I mean, Noelle Martin alone would have been sufficient yeah. enough in my book, but they got two pitchers and uh, and an, another uh, middle infielder as well with lots of potential. Um, anyway, uh, where do you want to go from here? Uh, what's the, the next trade? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I already had these lined up. The next trade, it's just another small one. Well, you're a Mets fan. I had to ask, would you is would you have preferred to get David Peralta over uh, Tyler Nyquin? You see, for some reason, I thought David Peralta would be a good fit. Uh, but when I realized that they wanted to take over somebody to take over the Jankowski role, um, mm. probably Naquin fits that a little bit better because he does have a little bit more speed. Uh, but yeah, David Peralta, after all those years in Arizona, uh, I, I figured he was as good as gone. I'd been saying for a while that they needed to trade him. I thought they were going to trade him last year. Um, I'm shocked that it was to the Rays, though. I thought the Dodgers, um, would have been in on him. And according to somebody over at the athletic, it might've been Rosenthal. I don't know um, that they were in on Peralta uh, before he went to the Rays for basically nothing. Um, it was not a, a, a big deal at all. Um, just a, a catcher, a 19 year old catcher. So, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I, I'm just kind of funny. I'm looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, uh, transactions, uh, latest roster moves there. And they acquired David Peralta and they had to send Josh Lowe to the minors again. And it had, and it, it's, it's right on the heels of Josh Lowe misplacing a ball. No, he got hit in the head. Oh, oh God. That was, that was embarrassing. Which that, is, that was one of the worst. That was one of the worst ones I've seen. Cause not only like, cause normally when your karma is good and you lose a ball in the lights, like if you haven't messed with the world or the gods, the ball just falls like 10 feet behind you. And you're like, okay, that's embarrassing, but you know, let me just go get it. But no, Josh Lowe had pissed off the world so much that not only did he lose the ball in the lights, but the ball found him <laughs> and it did not find the glove. It found his face. I mean, right in the damn noggin. And, uh, that was one of the, and he just collapsed. I mean, of course you're going to, that thing's reaching like terminal velocity coming down and he just, boom. But if at least this time, you know, the outfielder was there to back him up, uh, got the ball in and Mancini. I, I, I think that was the best part of that play was not just low getting hit, but Mancini like chugging air to try and get home. And he still was almost out of the plate. I mean, it was a close play uh, that and he, even after all that, he almost got thrown out. Oh, yeah, it was. It was kind of close, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh he, he didn't even slide. That was the worst part. I, I don't even think he slid. I was like, who do you think you are, Giambi? <laughs> well, Peralta is supposed to be starting for the Rays now. He's on a platoon, of course, because it's the Rays. <laughs> the the Rays are in a platoon? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out who is he platooning for. So uh, Probably I, Roman Quinn. Oh, Roman Quinn gets started anyway. 
Of course, of course, he gets a start. He's fast and he plays defense. It's like little league rules. Everybody has to play, you guys. Everybody has to play. Otherwise, the parents get mad and they don't want to pay for next year. Okay, no, this is like the race. They don't want to pay for next year either. Um, they never want to pay. They want somebody else to pay. Well, let's. I mean, we know who David Peralta is. I think our our, my, our guy Corey Decker, our resident Arizona Diamondback, and uh, podcasts uh, of his own. He has a Heathens podcast with Melvin. Uh, that's a little bit more of a, a philosophical and religious podcast. But David Peralta, he mentioned, is the third uh, most active. Uh, how, how do you phrase this? He has the third, third longest most, tenured player. Not just that, but he oh. has a, he has played the third most games as an Arizona Diamondback player. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's kind of I mean, it's a young franchise. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I could kind of see that. And he yeah. was always pretty durable. Like you never missed a bunch of time. Yeah, he was also telling me that uh, kind of they locked in into him. They locked out. They yeah. locked out getting I mean, he, he didn't debut until his age 26 season. He was, a, he was a failed pitcher, uh, went and started playing an independent league uh, in the outfield and then signed to a, a minor league deal. And I mean, he's really a great story. I mean, yeah, he, he was just, he was just a failed pitcher and he turns in a, a nice little career. I yeah. mean, him and AJ Pollock were always yeah. a pretty decent the one-two combination for them in the outfield. But yeah, basically, Diamondbacks they spotted him in a, like you mentioned an independent league game. Uh, according to Corey, this was his story. Uh, they they just thought of dumb luck. They just saw him. Hey, this guy's pretty good. Let's let's see what he we, what what he can do with us. And like you said, uh, Mister Diamondback over there. Uh, all right, so Christian Serda, right? Nineteen-year-old uh, catcher. You mentioned that before. Yeah, the, well, uh, here we go, man. 21.7 walk rate versus a 17.4 strikeout rate. So yeah. he walks more than he strikes out. So it sounds like a guy who takes a lot of pitches, but uh, offensively, he's nothing to get excited about. We don't have any defensive metrics uh, over at Fangrass for minor league players. Hell, by the time this guy reaches the majors, we'll probably have robot umps for like four years. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> take, take your framing and shove it, right? <laughs> All right, next on the docket here. What I think we're we're almost done. We got Edmundo Sosa, Edmundo Sosa getting traded to the Phillies, I guess, for Jojo Romero. Yeah, that that that, that was a weird trade. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was... it, the, I guess the non uh, the actual interesting part of it was the fact that uh, Seattle traded Sosa because Paul DeYoung was called up from the minors. DeYoung, after spending most of the season in AAA. Um, finally called up hit a home run uh so they felt that they could realistically move edmundo sosa since they didn't need him anymore and uh they get a lefty reliever out of it that's you know what the cardinals man cardinals way they just you know they send guys to the minors and then they love them and then they bring them back up against the majors and then the guy that they fell in love with in the first place they get shipped off to the Phillies it's the punishment for not being good <laughs> also so we know who he is uh, uh, likes, to hit, likes to hit umpires in the face <laughs> like that that will forever be like what I remember Edmundo Sosa for especially because it was in a Mets game uh, and I mean the umpire just staring at first base waiting to make the call Edmundo Sosa put, does the spinorama throws misses first base by about eight feet and catches the umpire right in the side of the face. I mean, full like line drive throw that way he was trying to throw to first and he hits the first base ump and he went down like a sack of potatoes. I mean, it, that was, that was a bad one. <laughs> well, we know who Edmundo Sosa is a little bit. Uh, 
not much of a power hitter. I mean, he's a slappy hitter. Defense, well. defense, defense. Yeah, because even I would, even, I'm even hesitant to call him a slappy hitter because his contract rates are not that high. Very no. aggressive at the plate. Um, he showed some stolen base potential late last season, but he only has three stolen bases this season so far. And all of a sudden, he has a 29% strikeout rate, which is, I guess, he's getting exposed for it because he's yeah. a very aggressive swinger too. So, yeah. and then Georgia Romero, bullpen guy. He's I feel like he's been in the league since forever, but no, it's only been three seasons. This being the third one. And he's there must have been another Jojo. Maybe it's possible. I mean, maybe he was because I feel like there has been Jojo. No, Jojo Reyes. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's that's one. (laughs) It sounds right. I mean, these these guys, they just pick up everybody else's nickname. Hey, this guy's Romero. We'll we'll just call him Jojo. Just like the other Jojo. Jojo (laughs) Schmosho. Well, anyway, uh, no, uh, Romero's struggling this year. He's been struggling with the Phillies. He's uh He's left-handed, like you said. You'll, you will get a get, lot of opportunities. Yeah, so that was what Daniel was trying to say earlier, was that yeah, uh, Will Smith, now. okay, yeah. <laughs> Lefties yeah. will always get every chance in the world. Unless you're Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Romero's ground ball rate has gone up to 62.5% this year, so that's a that's a thing in his way. That's a positive for him. Uh, velocity. So he's, he's barely pitched this year. Two innings at the major league level and 11 in the minors. Oh. No, 12. So... Oh, I wonder catch. if he's been injured or well, I don't know. Yeah, even in even last year, he wasn't anything special. But yeah, he does register at a mid 90s fastball. So that's definitely going to play. And I'm sure the Cardinals will find a way to fix him a little bit. And then finally, we got a last trade to talk about. Uh, I guess it's uh, Chris Martin for Chris, uh, Zach McKinstry. So uh, you talk about weird trades. So <laughs> the Cubs who are supposedly in the middle of a they suckered Cub fans into believing that, that they're in the middle of a rebuild right now. They get they trade away a 36-year-old relief pitcher, and they get back a 27-year-old uh, utility player. So I guess that's them going young, right? Technically, it's them going young. They're going nine years younger than they did, right? It's funny because McKinstry is one of those guys that, I mean, I know it's AAA, and he's 26, 27 years old the last few years. I mean, he's been in AAA basically since the end of 2019. He's had a couple of cups of coffee. But yeah. he has just absolutely crushed AAA. Um, but every time the Dodgers have called him up, I mean, he's more in the lineup because of his defense and versatility than his bat. The bat really hasn't translated. Um, yeah. So he'll, but he'll... He, he's an interesting like player just because he can play everywhere. Um, he has like a pretty solid walk rate for his entire minor league career. Um, just at the major league level, he struck out too much, though. So. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not excited. Well, I mean, if he gets everyday playing time, like I'm, I'm interested to see like what he does. Like he's a flippable guy for the Cubs. The the, the whole team is full of flippable guys for the Cubs. I mean, <laughs> well, but the thing is, I think it's you can flip McKinstry in a year or two and get far more than you could have for just Chris Martin alone. Like th- I think that's the idea here. Probably, but still, I mean, this is just I don't know. I don't. I, it just. This, this Cubs team is just a train wreck. I, I am not a fan of it. I don't like it. I don't like what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. You're, oh, tacky, it's the middle of, you're tacky and I hate you. <laughs> they're, they're in the middle of a rebuild. Yeah, Rafael Ortega is 31 years old. That's a rebuild for you. Seiza Suzuki, the prize free agent, he's already 28. So I can't. he's going to get traded soon. Same thing with Ian Happ. Same thing with Wilson Contreras. Did he get a uh, no trade clause at all? when he, uh, Suzuki? Suzuki? Yeah, Suzuki. I don't know. I don't remember. But hey, you know how you signal that you're in a rebuild? 
you signed Marcus Stroman to a three-year, seventy-five million dollar contract. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Royals are they can't uh, wait to get. Meanwhile, the Royals can't wait to get rid of Brady Singer. The, so. the Cubs are probably going to trade a couple of pro- <laughs> prospects for Brady Singer. Uh, <laughs> God, I uh, got, you know, I got quiet because I half in, half out. <laughs> I got quiet because you know I know that it's 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 possible with that team. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing anymore. Uh, the and the youngest guy on the team is Chris uh, on the active lineup is Christopher Morell, who is very raw still, even at the uh, at this uh, stage of his career with the team so far. It's this rookie year, I know that, but it's so his it, offense hasn't completely bottomed out yet. Who Morell? I, I did not. I, I did not give him long. And I, 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 granted, we're sitting at a twenty nine percent strikeout rate. No, he's a very exciting player. But yeah, oh, he's he exciting. I just don't think yeah. exciting equals good most of the time. Well, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. I mean, I mean, I just, I mean, I just talked about this with somebody recently who's telling me, no, we won. The problem with Major League Baseball is there's not enough contact guys. We need more contact hitters because everybody's all about the home run. And then you look at the guys with the lowest contact rate. Yeah, there's Joey Gallo. I get it. He sucks, but he sucks. <laughs> but then you know who else shows up in the low contact rates uh, list as well? Guys like Byron Buxton, Julio, oh, yeah. Julio yep. Rodriguez, all these exciting players. So there is room in the baseball rainbow here. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. Oh, no, maybe not. They're getting sued right now, apparently. Oh, really? Are they? I, I don't know. I don't know why, but somebody is suing them for oh. a, a reason. Maybe I think the artificial flavor is not being good for people. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we we know what we're getting ourselves into when we when we take a bite of Skittles. Come on, you guys. Oh. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so I mean, I'm looking at this Cubs team, right? And it's like, all right, so Nico Horner and Christopher Morrell, and then maybe Nick Madrigal if he ever stays healthy. Just put some duct tape on him. <laughs> That's your core for the. You don't future. even have to use that much duct tape because he's so small. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your core right there. I mean, that's yeah, that's very exciting. And just build, just put a bunch of thirty-year-old men around these guys, right? That, that'll that's gonna help. <laughs> Patrick Wisdom, thirty years old. Frank Schwindel, thirty years old. Why hasn't these guys been traded yet? And I don't know. It, I, it's I hate this team. If it's they like, don't, if they don't trade Ian Happ, they should fire whoever the GM is for malpractice. Well, it's uh, like that, that could literally be the best return of a person that they could get, and they're not going to trade them. It's like I told Cuff fans uh, before in, in another chat. You know, if Ian Happ would have been playing like this this entire time, this team wouldn't be in the rut that they're in right now. I mean, if Ian Happ just plays like the way he's supposed to as a first round pick with the rest of the other guys there. We're not we're not having this conversation about trading Ian Happ. We're not having this conversation about this awful rebuild that the Cubs are, are are making us go through right now. So, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. It's, they've been pretty quiet. This is the only trade that they made. And then, of course, I think we know. I, I honestly, honestly, man, I didn't know we had Chris Martin on the team. I remember Chris Martin with uh, <laughs> oh, the Braves. The Braves. Yeah, that's I remember that was, that was his last because uh, he went. Where was he before the Braves? The Braves acquired Rangers. Him, yeah, Richard Rodriguez, or I think it was Richard Rodriguez and like Shane Green all at the same time from the Rangers. Or, no, it was like that same deadline. It wasn't. Oh, the, it, it wasn't the twenty twenty one. It, it must have been the nineteen deadline, I think, or the twenty. Uh, where they traded for like all those relief pitchers and everyone was like, Oh, the relief pitchers are so good. And I'm like, okay, they're okay. Like, they're okay. Yeah. Like they're, they're acting as if they just traded for like Craig Kimbrell's second coming. And well, I'm like, no, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was in 19 that they traded for Chris Martin. 
Well, Chris Martin was having a pretty good year. Uh, very good strikeout numbers, very low walk rates. And that's yeah, he, he's, really he's never walked, guys. He's always had good command. Yeah. Uh, very high ground ball rate this year. So, yeah, it, the Dodgers did a hell of a job solidifying that bullpen, as they always do. And all they had to give up was a, a 27-year-old utility w- player. Which they literally grow those guys on trees. I mean, that's what the Dodgers do. That's why the Dodgers can get away with all this shit, just because their player development is unfairly better than everybody else's. Oh, it's ridiculously better. Yeah. Uh, but wouldn't it have been cool if they had traded for David Peralta and they could have had like the, well, AJ Pollock isn't there anymore, no. but they could have had David Peralta, Jake Lamb, and AJ Pollock all in the same lineup. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this, but the Dodgers have been platooning Jake Lamb and Trace Thompson for the last like three weeks. I did not know that. I that know is that is, that is their DH trait. I know. And they, they've combined for a 147 WRC plus. And I know that Trace Thompson was on a team. I didn't realize he was uh, having uh, regular playing time like that. Yep. I thought he was he, just going to be there for a little bit. He's platooning and playing a lot of the outfield, um, platooning at DH, and then also platooning with Gavin Lux. Um, as is Hanser Alberto. So I actually made a joke in one of the private chats about Trace Thompson. Let me see if I could find it really quick. But yeah, those are all the trades that have occurred since uh, this this past week, since July 28th, it looks like. Um, so yeah, Trace Thompson. Yeah, I, I go, yeah, they got Clay Thompson's brother hitting threes now for the Dodgers. <laughs> He's hitting threes. Yeah, and, and Vince then goes, Oh, you're talking about Mud Thompson, Clay's brother? You don't get it, Clay Mud. Uh-huh. No, Vince, it's Trace. He helps them draw. <laughs> but yeah, Trace Thompson uh, has already in just 113 plate appearances, 0.8 F4. Uh, he's striking out 36% of the time, but slash line of 260, 345, 460. Hey, 36.3. That'd be a, a you know a, a solid uh, three-point percentage. Not a great one. It's a solid one, though. It's pretty solid. You, you can let him shoot four or five threes a game at 36%. And then we finish with this last question. And well, this is a good that will be a good place to stop the show here. Uh, somebody asked Greg and the baseball life Facebook group. Not I don't know much about Greg, but he asked. Um who who would be the who's the better second baseman or, or pick one and why? And you got Robbie Alomar and Lou Whitaker. Very and, random to end the show with this, but yeah, we'll, well, here, uh, here we go. <laughs> no, there, there's a reason to my madness here. There's a reason to my madness here. So you'll you'll see in a little bit. But since ni- I went back as far back as 1970 to you know to, over at Fangraphs to see just get an accumulation of stats, and here's what the top five looks like since 1970 among second basemen now. So here we go, Joe Morgan, probably the greatest second baseman of all time. Maybe depends yeah. who you ask. Yeah. Especially since the integrated era of 1947. So, uh, Bobby Girich, very underrated player, not in the Hall of Fame, probably will never be considered for Hall of Fame. But if you look at his numbers, we'll put it this way Joe Morgan has 228 home runs. Bobby Girich has 224 home runs. Think about that. Interesting. And he, and he had a reputation of being a very, very exceptional second baseman. Um, I think he played for the Orioles. Lou Whitaker's at number three. And I go, and again, when I say, when I'm making these rankings, when I'm saying these rankings there, that's according to Fangraph's war. So Lou Whitaker is at number three, Craig Biggio at number four. He's in the hall of fame and Robbie Alomar is number five. Well, to use Michael Jordan rules, last I check number three beats number five every single time, but it's pretty close. I mean, Robbie Alomar is 63.6 F4, Lou Whitaker at 68.1 F4. Uh, Lou Whitaker is criminally underrated. His teammate Alan Trammell is already in the Hall of Fame. 
and Lou Whitaker, you never hear from him. But when you look at both of those guys, they have pretty damn similar numbers. The one thing yeah. that Robbie Alomar beats him in is in stolen bases. Yeah. And he kind of blows him out of the water there. I mean. Oh, by a lot. So yeah. that, that was Lou Whitaker's crime. But, um, but yeah, Lou Whitaker was always steady, but never spectacular. Whereas Robbie Alomar, I mean, he came up at the right place, right time uh, during uh, an era of baseball where the highlight show uh, was all the thing. I mean, everybody tuned into ESPN's ba- uh, major, uh, Baseball Tonight show. And saw and Robbie Alomar was a was a fixture of those shows because he was always making these flashy plays. Yeah, and well, it's one of those things like I feel like Alomar should be closer to Whitaker in terms of F four, but then you look at his defensive war and it's only you know like sixteen, and you're like, but he was a great defender. And then you go and look at his like season by season, where you know the eighties, nineties, early two thousands defensive metrics are kind of spotty to say the least. And it's like you see him have seasons of 12, 9, 9, 11, 5, 5. And then he, right in the middle of his prime from 25 to 29, he was worth like negative 30. Like, and it's like that doesn't make sense. Well, you know what happened. Come on. We know what happened. What happened? We, we know what happened. What what happened? I, I'm, I'm the dumb kid who wasn't born till 96. Well. Um. So when was his ninety? Uh, from this would this would have been his age twenty five season, nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety seven. Come on, we know what happened. He he saw the other players. He, he saw well, how they, well, was them the needles. Was them the he, needles? He, let's put it this way: but, he saw he didn't, what, he didn't even hit that many home runs. Like it, in, in that time listen, period, he didn't he didn't hit listen, many. The biggest misconception about steroids and PED use is that <laughs> it's going to make you hit more home runs. That's not always the case. The thing that it does is it's going to well, first of all, it's going to make you bulk up. Yeah. It's just because I mean, he because, did hit a, a bu- bunch more doubles in those next five years. Though. I mean, this, this, even like, but it was like from twenty five to twenty nine, he was good, and then he was like thirty. Like if, when I look at his numbers from thirty to two thousand or thirty to thirty three. Um, that's where it definitely looks a little suspicious. Yeah. Because he's 32, 33 years old, 31. He steals 37, 39, 30 bases. Mm. So, um, and and then he was great defensively those years. It's just weird that you have three great seasons defensively from 30 to 32, but 25 to 29, you weren't good defensively. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Um, and this, it's it's really that, that that deserves its own show right there as to why things happen the way they happen. I mean, ninety three, he helped the Blue Jays win a World Series. He's still fifty five yep. stolen bases, but ne- like you said, negative five uh, defensive WAR uh, calculation there. But uh, I, I can only suspect because it's just based on the patterns. But yeah, the reason you, yeah you bulk up with with the PED use, uh, but not just that, but you increase the amount of uh, turnaround time as, a, as, as it pertains to recovery, right? Yeah. It's supposed to uh, help you with those injuries. With I mean, fuck, when, when, when they give guys cortisone shots, that's a, that's a steroid. Yeah. It's not meant to bulk you up. It's not, <laughs> it's not an anabolic. I was just about to say that. I understand that, but there's a reason why these guys take the steroids. It's not just to make you look good. I mean, Gabe Kapler was bulky. I'm not saying that he oh. used, <laughs> but he, I don't remember him being a home run hitter. No, so, well, and, I, I feel like the the managers now that were players not that long ago are like just the ones that are like 40 ish years old. I feel like this new breed of manager, they're all like jacked, like Gabe Kapler's jacked. 
Luis Rojas is, you know, not a manager anymore, but he was jacked. And they, they showed him when the Mets played the Yankees the other night. And like he was over there, like in his jersey with the, the batting helmet at third base. And he just like he's not a big guy. He's just boom. And you're like, oh, okay. It's like uh, I guess the, the new breed of managers are, they can't all be Tito's, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it is weird. Uh 98 with the Orioles, his defense improved and it kept improving. But uh um, I mean the whole like, and, and it's like I think of Alomar as you know a really good defensive player. And so for in the middle of his prime, like I, I feel like there might be just something in the defensive metrics that we're missing here. And if he was more like he was, you know, the first three years and, you know, towards the end of his career, it's like, I don't know. Was it him switching from shortstop to second base? Did he, was there any positional switching there? Maybe. Oh, no, it was, it was all, no, it's all, it was all second base. Yeah. I have only, I've only known him as a second baseman, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he were yeah, a shortstop. I, I thought maybe he had played shortstop those years, but nope, just all second base. Yeah, and that this would have been a uh, well. I'm trying to fit because because I know that the advanced rate and the defensive war goes by what they call total zone, yeah. and I can't find it anywhere. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, total zone is very low around that time between '93 and '97. Those years you mentioned, and he finished with a career total zone of negative three. It looks like. Yeah. So that's where he gets hurt. But yeah, Lou Whitaker. Oh, oh, oh. You, okay. He was in Toronto when he had th- uh, three of those poor years. And then the other one was in Baltimore. AstroTurf? The ball, like, hit, he didn't get to balls or balls got past him. Like, is that like something that could have oh. played into that? The infields being faster. But- but then why was he struggling with the Baltimore Orioles? Because there was two. I mean, he has. In yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, he had one great year, one poor year, one average year in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, that's. But still... like, I, I think it's weird because he's consistently negative in Toronto. Yeah. And he was positive with the Padres as well. So, yeah, he was positive with the Padres, terrible with Toronto and yeah. then kind of rebounded in Baltimore. Good in Cleveland. And then by the time he's 35, 36, yeah, we expect him to suck then. Yeah. But, I mean, he, there was a couple of years with the White Sox, I think. So yeah. he was way past his prime then. But so, yeah, it's a good point that you bring up. I, I we completely forgot that. Because it was, and that's to, how uh, like total zone would be. It was based on like where the ball was hit. Uh, it didn't really factor in like anything else. Yeah. I mean, uh, so if technology uh, wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of makes me think that. Because you don't go from like his greatness in San Diego and he's just bad at 23 through 26 years old. Like that, that's not like that. You're that's your defensive prime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it is what it is. That's what happened. Meanwhile, Lou Whitaker, who was not as flashy, but Bill James wrote a very interesting article about him in one of his abstracts a long, 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 long time ago. And he makes a case that a lot of the reason that Lou Whitaker does not get the acclaim that other second basemen do get, like a Roberto Alomar, a Craig Biggio, and a Joe Morgan. Well, maybe Joe Morgan is not a good example because he does bring racial factors into it, whereas Alan Trammell looks like a guy who hustles a lot. Again, racial biases. Yeah. Who, who votes for these uh, people to get elected? Writers. Who Most of these writers are white. Let's just call it for what it is. Um and Lou Whitaker just made everything look so easy because he was very smooth at second base. But some white writers might say, oh, look at this lazy bum. Look, he's <laughs> hot dogging it out there. He thinks he's so slick. He doesn't hustle. Well, he didn't have to hustle. He was that good. But it might be one of those things where Lou Whitaker was uh, 
maybe a way ahead of his time. And yeah. oh, I always, the thing I always loved with him is, you know, basically 10,000 plate appearances walked more than he struck out. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I, remember, I, I had his baseball card when I was a kid and I looked at the back of his baseball card like, wow, this guy's a star and doesn't get any any of the accolades to go with it. Very underrated player. Uh, so we'll see if in the next uh, few years, they. I mean, that's this is why we have these stats now. So we can see what happened. Bobby Garrett was the other guy I mentioned. And he's Bobby Garrett has a 129 career WRC plus. Yeah, that's I higher thought- than Whitaker. That's higher than Biggio. That's higher than Roberto Alomar. I feel like the thing with like when it comes to Lou Whitaker is that there was never there was one 300 season when he was 37 years old. Um, or no, okay, two. He had two, but you know, career 276 hitter. He had some great on base years. The career on base is only 363, which is is good. It's not terrible or bad. Uh, and then the the highest home runs was 28, but. Really, he was more like a, a 15 to 20 home run guy. And then he played second base and he played a, a good second base. But it's like he also played second base. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those weird, almost too boring of a profile. Yeah, that's exactly like just, what it is, just yeah. all around. Uh, he Because the, the batting average that, you know, people that time would love wasn't there. The on base was good, but not enough to really for people to like take notice of. Well, I'll put it this way: the the on base, the on base percentage, that's good enough for fifteenth and uh, since nineteen seventy overall among second basemen. And Hall of Fame, it didn't stop Hall of Fame Craig Biggio from getting to the Hall of Fame with a three sixty three on base percentage, yeah. identical to Lou Whitaker's. So again, that just goes back to the biases that. Um, that the people who are voting are they they have and i think bill james might have something here where it's not just it's racial but it's also like uh this guy is so good that people just took it from granted took him for granted and we got plenty of hall of fame players that get into the hall of fame because they were consistent for a long time yeah without the flashy numbers without the flashy play but for some reason whitaker gets penalized and, and you know whitaker does did help the tigers win a championship in 84 as well so but again for all the reasons that we're penalizing Lou Whitaker, we reward his teammate Alan Trammell, and Trammell is in the Hall of Fame. That was a duo that was forever with like together, tied to the hip for a very long time in Detroit. So, and the reason I bring up, I brought this up is that this would have been a really good question to ask our friend of the uh, our friend over there uh, from the Baseball Utopia Universe. I, I might have butchered the name, sorry about that. But Joey Buckles, uh, yeah. uh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Joey last month. Uh, at one point, we ended up sitting together and we had, we didn't have so much discussion as we had borderline heated debates because a lot of the things that he said was, you know, you, you bring a guy like Joey Buckles, who's an old school guy, and you mix him with me, you know, you know how I am. And I'm going to, I'm not going to oh, yeah. agree. I'm not going to agree. I mean, he called Nolan Ryan, one of the most overrated pitches of all time, but he brought up a lot of things like, yeah, he gave, he gave up so many walks. He has a lot of losses and I'm thinking to myself, and I try to say, but Nolan Ryan, you can say he's an overrated player, but it's not for the reasons you're saying. <laughs> and, 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 and we were having that discussion, but he's very passionate. Very passionate guy. Uh, and as you know, the, the Utopia universe is all about, you know, <clears throat> taking the past, mixing it with the present. And he would create little seasons uh, with uh, all these 
players throughout the major league baseball history and even Negro league history. He finally had enough uh, uh, players to put it, put some Negro league players in as well. And it was a very interesting concept. Uh, and he worked very diligently to uh, bring results and entertain us with that stuff. He uh, was a Mets fan, a Brewers mm-hmm. fan. And now I go from the present to the past tense, as you guys know, uh, he did pass away this past week. Uh, very tragically seemed like he was on the way to good. He had a heart attack. Seemed like he was on the, on the way to good health. He was, I guess he was discharged from the hospital the first time around mm-hmm. the next day. Uh, he went unresponsive on us and he was rushed back to the hospital and was put in a medically induced coma. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that was it for him. Uh, it, it was, uh, kind of sad. His sister was giving us updates and it, it's, it, I mean, like I said, I sat right next to him. He looked fine. I did not see any issues with him. He was, hell, he even, <laughs> I don't know if he was joking or not, but he even said, Felipe, I, I think I would love to do a wrestling podcast with you. Like, oh, God, yeah, I'll let my <laughs> wife know. Let my wife know about it. I'm sure she'll be all for it. But I, I wouldn't have minded to at least, you know, talk some wrestling because we were so baseball-centric that game uh, during that game. Uh, uh, we went to the minor league, uh, the, I'm sorry, the independent league, the Frontier yep. League, uh, Chicago Dogs versus the Kansas City Monarchs. And um, the dogs were getting blasted. So, of course, now we're talking about all types of stupid things. And that was a lot. A lot of it was baseball. But then we started talking wrestling. But, you know, there, it was a big group of us. So everybody just loved them. That was the first time we met them. And we all loved them. We met a, that was the first time we met a lot of people that day. So, I mean, you know, as you know, Sean, life group difference. So uh, I would have loved to ask him that question to see if he remembered uh, Lou Whitaker the same way that these uh, new metrics remember him. Uh, and if the way that Bill James remembered him, if he had any commonality, common ground there, because he is an old school guy. Uh, but I, w- I would have wanted to see his take and, and just really to see what the what the, the, how the Tigers are doing uh, as well in that universe that he has created. And unfortunately, now there's nobody there to pick up that mantle because it was all him. Yeah. Was, he was the one who did all that. So to uh, Joey, all of his uh, friends and family, uh, big rest uh my condolences and rest in peace. Uh, we lost a good guy there um, in terms of just how crazy of a baseball fan he was. We lost a really good one. We were going to meet up again. Yeah. We were going to meet up with him in another baseball game really soon. And uh, that's going by the wayside. And uh, also last thing um, we are supposed to meet up and have a little bit of a, in August, late August, uh, our guy, Jonathan has been putting up uh, an open invite to everybody in both groups, baseball life and the other one, the uh, baseball utopia um, to come out to the, uh, to the Chicago dogs game and have the Joey Buckles Memorial game, so to speak. And hopefully we get a big turnout and uh, mm-hmm. send our guy uh, where he was happiest. And that was at mm-hmm. the old ball game there. So oh, no. uh, did you get a chance to, talk with him did you, you have see, any interaction I, I, I had some interactions with him in, in baseball life and it you see i wasn't in the utopian one I, I guess there was some post that he had invited a bunch of people that i just never saw i know yeah. several of the people that i routinely you know communicate with in baseball life were in that group um but i i, I wasn't but i remember him being in baseball life and just a lot of the people that i routinely like i said routinely talked to they said that like joey was like one of the people that you know when we created baseball life, you know, he wasn't part of that, the, the main crossover. And uh, I, I won't say who said this, but, you know, he was like, uh, he said, Joey was probably the most genuinely nice guy that we brought over. That wasn't part of that initial shift to baseball life that we, we found this guy who also had great love for the game was running his own group, but uh, 
actually. You know, we, we brought in them to make baseball life better. Listen, we don't allow that. We do not allow cross promotions. We don't because a lot of these times, these groups, they're very stingy when we try to promote our group and their group. So we have a no cross promotion of other groups unless you talk to the admins about it. And even then, nine times out of 10, we're going to say, no, nah, you're crazy. We're not doing that. <laughs> That's how much of an impact Joey made on us. Yeah. Like from the very first day we met him, he made that impact on us. Right? You know what? We love the passion. We love what you're doing. We love the concept. Hell yeah, we're going to cross promote yeah. with you because we, we like what you bring to yeah. the table. And we helped each other out like that. Yeah, and that, that's that, that that's Joey. That was him in a nutshell. That we broke the one the, of, the, the the passion was like so obvious. It was we had to know. make an exception for yeah. him. And and of course we meet him in person, and he was he lived up to expectations. I mean, you just saw Ricky saying, "Yeah, we that was a great day getting to meet him as well." He's in the chat right now, and that's how much of an impact uh, he made. Which is kind of funny because the name of the ballpark is Impact Field, so he made an impact at Impact yeah. Field. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it, it's a shame we were. We were ready to see more baseball games with him. It was going to be a regular thing with all of us. He would make the trips all the way from Wisconsin. Who knows? Maybe we would have made the trips up to Wisconsin because Wisconsin has a couple of uh, uh, Frontier League teams as well. And now we're not going to get the chance to do so. So, again, rest in peace to Joey. Um, yeah, man. It's just, it's just, it was a rough rough week for me. Um, yeah. It's just weird to see somebody who was there. You're making plans with him, and now he's not there. So. Yeah. But uh, we'll uh, we'll 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 do our best to uh, continue his legacy, and and that's it, man. That's it's always going to be connected. The, those Frontier League games are always going to be connected to him. So, so I mean, that's his legacy. Anyway, uh, they're asking where can we find the book because he did write a book about it. Oh yeah, the, I I didn't know that he had written a book. I I saw somebody posted it. It was. Uh... Well, it's the think, the story of a baseball polygamist or something yeah, like that because it, right. it, it's about him being a Mets and a Brewers fan but uh, I, I I think it has something to do with baseball polygamist and I read that and I was like that's a mouthful for sure like oh <laughs> you think about baseball polygamist oh okay so you have a girlfriend in <laughs> Milwaukee in yeah I got a, I got I got a shortstop and a second baseman <laughs> We plug up all the holes here, but uh, yeah, Brett, he's the one who did it. Cause he was looking, he was looking to say, I want to get this guy's book. Um, and we're having a hard time finding it. I'm wondering if, uh, if there was a link on that link that he sent out. Oh, well, I oh, think oh, he, I, he had only had a couple of copies left and I think Vince got assigned one a couple of months ago. Oh, um, so yeah. Uh, yes. I, I'm not, not sure. I remember seeing some uh, post about it. I'm not sure if there was any left though. Yeah, and the link and the and the article where he they interview him, they uh, to order a copy of the book, contact the author at his Gmail account. Like, oh. well, who's taking who's taking care yeah. of that Gmail account yeah. now? Yeah. So that's yeah, unfortunate, but uh, well, there it goes. I mean, pretty much in a nutshell, superstitions existed back in the eighties with the Mets having the W O R. Was it? That so, possibly yeah uh, yeah 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 yeah. i think it was wr yeah. and he said that because uh the Mexicans would go on earlier well naturally right because the eastern time the Mexicans would go on earlier that he became a mets fan but then you know the brewers figure well they're the regional team so might as well love them like them too and or, or vice versa something i forgot the exact story but uh, that was it was because the mets they had that exposure with the superstations yeah so uh, i think that's how you became a mets fan right 
no 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 it wasn't superstitions it was just fatherly coercion oh okay otherwise he would have been a braves fan right oh yeah i don't know there was a a small time in my life where i was an alabama football fan uh till about like third grade Mm. and then even then i got i got pivoted to rutgers in like fourth grade so oh wow yeah um my my dad hated sports, so I, I don't have that kind of a story. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a self made I'm a self made man, man. So anyway, that's a good place to stop. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for uh, tuning in uh, to tuning in for coming in this morning. I know I I was got, we got off to a rough start with me uh, waking up late, but I do thank you for your patience there. Uh, you have a podcast to brag about right now. Uh, I think we're back on the uh, orange pinstripes. I, I, I don't want to butcher the name. Uh, but I think it's next week and we're, okay. we're going to do it bi-weekly. Um, and of course with Henry and Vince joining in as well. And of course, when we're back next week and when I go on with them next week, uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of trades to talk about. Uh, yeah. And right before we go, I, I want to ask you this, where does Juan Soto end up? Oh, I forgot about that. I got to You make a very compelling case and everybody else as well, that the Padres seem to be in the lead. But I do not ever this. I do not ever count out the Dodgers. I cannot count out the Dodgers. Um, and really, the big surprise is that the Yankees aren't in on them. But I, I understand why the Yankees are not in on them, as uh, the cash strap Yankees, right? Yeah. Well, you see, the thing is, not only do I think San Diego uh, have the pieces, both in terms of minor league and already in the majors, but they're also crazy enough to actually include all of those pieces. Because it's AJ Preller, and well, I mean they, they learned a lesson last year that they didn't do it for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, and they paid well, they didn't pay the price for it. But <laughs> they, they, they 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 got bamboozled. The Dodgers. Hey, maybe maybe if they won a World Series, Fernando Tatis never decides to buy a motorcycle. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you never know. Like the the, the domino effect here. <laughs> The Was butterfly it, effect. They, they asked them, when did you hurt your wrist? Oh, he said, which time? Which time? Like, oh, great. <laughs> this idiot. Not, I'm sorry. I don't want to say the word idiot. Uh, it, it is a ris- that's, million that's dollar a- body, 10 cent brain. <laughs> pretty uh, much. But that, yeah, that, uh, that, that's pretty, how that's how it is. It's like he's in his early 20s or something. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I never did anything crazy in the early 20s. Not that you can prove. <laughs> Anyway, or the statue of limitations has gone gone past. <laughs> <The statue. laughs> yeah, I think for me, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Anyway, yeah, I'm a family man now. Come on, I'm responsible. <laughs> Look at uh, this child I have. <laughs> this she wants, yeah, man. I'm seeing her right now, and she's on my wallpaper. Anyway, I am Felipe. That is Sean. This is the Total Basis Podcast. You were listening to. We will see you all next week. Awesome should be back next week. You saw him, he was on fire, literally on fire, stunt school. Oh, I, I missed. I haven't seen that one. I saw a couple of the fight videos, but not the fire one. Yeah, he was put on fire uh, the other day. So go check that out. On Austin's show. on fire. <laughs> He's on fire. Yeah. Uh, again, Felipe, Sean, we'll see you next time. Adios, guys.